broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. If you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button with the bell for continued notifications. Baptist Doctrine and Eastern Orthodoxy, What's the Difference? Part 2. I think sometimes it's helpful to do little um, series like this because people often have questions and they... They run into situations where they're 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 uh, confronted by a friend or a family member uh, with um, you know positions that they're not necessarily familiar with, and uh, they don't know then how to interact in a meaningful way with that family member or friend, uh, and so uh, this is an effort to assist with that so hopefully these are helpful um i decided to break the uh eastern orthodox comparison into two parts because there was just a lot and in fact when we do roman catholicism it'll probably be the same uh maybe uh even a tad longer simply because there's a lot of there's a lot that applies from this conversation uh, concerning Eastern Orthodoxy to Roman Catholicism, but there are going to be nuances with regard to Roman Catholicism, like the papacy, for example, um, the sacraments, uh, uh, and so on, that are going to affect, you know, things that we're going to have to to add and talk about uh, within the context of its own own discussion. So uh, who knows, that might be two or three parts as well. Anyway, this will be the last part of Eastern Orthodoxy. We have already covered, in case you're just joining us, uh, please go back and find that part one, because we've already covered uh, four points uh, out of six. In the first video, I said there were going to be four points, uh, and then I decided to add two more, so here's part two. Um, But we already covered justification by faith versus theosis. Baptism as means of grace versus baptism as a saving grace itself. Credo baptism versus infant baptism, continuity of faith versus apostolic succession. So you're going to want to go back and and um, and listen to that and and get an idea of those four points. By the way, this none of this is exhaustive. There's a lot more to be said. <clears throat> Eastern Orthodoxy is very difficult because there's no uh, its its doctrine is decentralized. So uh, it's similar to Baptists. You know when you say um, you know, what is a, what does a Baptist believe? You're going to get all sorts of different answers because our church authority and our, our authority in terms of our confessions is really limited to the local church. And, um, there's no presiding hierarchy, uh, that, um, that really determines what each local church believes the closest thing you're going to get to a unified position when it comes to Baptists would be like the Baptist faith and message. And a lot of people think that if they, if they shift focus to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy, that they're looking at two much more unified bodies of Christian tradition. And that's simply not true. They have their own uh, uh, diversities within themselves. They have their own uh, major disagreements that is kind of glossed over or covered over by the ecclesiological uni- unity that they have, which is logistical more so than doctrinal. And so the appearance is that they have a lot of unity. 
the reality is, is when you open up the hood and you start to tinker around with, with their history and what they believe now, it's actually just as difficult to, 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 to ask and answer the question, what does, what do Roman Catholics believe as it is to ask the question, what do Baptists believe? You know, I've had several conversations with people who have Roman Catholic friends, or I've even had conversations with Roman Catholics themselves who, uh, you know, I will say, well, you guys believe this. And, and, and I'm coming from reading the, uh, the official canon dogma, canonical dogma from like the Catholic catechism. And they say, no, I don't believe that. Well, the official teaching of the church is this, but you have uh, a, a plethora of professing Roman Catholics who do not believe the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. So the, there's definitely not as much unity as one might think from the outside looking in. The same is true with Eastern Orthodoxy, even to a greater extent than Roman Catholicism, I think, because there's really no place to go with regard to Eastern Orthodoxy to find a, uh, a an official teaching, unless, of course, you're just going to read through the what they recognize to be the seven ecumenical councils uh, ending in the 8th century. We talked about this in the first part, uh, so if you're lost with regard to the ecumenical councils, I would again encourage you to go listen to the first part. So, um, there's all that to say there's not much unity as expected, as many people expect there to be. Uh, that's also true in a historical and chronological sense. Uh, the claim is, of course, with Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism that we're the, we're the, the original church. We go back all the, all the way to the apostles. And... Um, <clears throat> and we trace our history from there. We've maintained the same practices, the same services, even the same architecture, as one author said uh, that we read last in the last part. The problem with that is when you when you start to dig into the history, you realize there have been several significant changes. We're going to note some of those today in how their structure is composed. Uh, there's not only been doctrinal differences and changes. Uh, with regard to the articles of the faith and what must be believed or what should be believed. There's also been changes to structure, institutional structure, ecclesiological structure, and so on. And so we'll look at some of that with regard to Eastern, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodoxy. When we get to Roman Catholicism, we'll see the same thing. And all of this to say, the unity at present is not as unified as one might think, but also the historical continuity is not as thick as one might be led to think at first as well. And we've we've already seen some of that. We'll see more of that today. So uh, the two points that I added, uh, the two points of comparison that I've added with regard to uh, Baptists and the Eastern Orthodox is that Baptists, uh, for number five out of our list of six, number five, uh, Baptists believe in a priesthood of believers generally. Uh, every believer is a priest. Whereas... Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church has an official hierarchy involving priests that preside over the uh, laity and the liturgy that the laity is to participate in and so on. Um, now, just on, just on the point of ecclesiastical structure, the Eastern Orthodox Church at present maintains three offices or official capacities. The highest starting at the highest, going to the lowest, there's, there's only three, is bishops, then priests, then deacons. And of course, then you have your laity. 
Uh, bishops are selected from the unmarried clergy, usually from monasteries. These are uh, monastically trained individuals. Uh, they are celibate, uh, and they are chosen, uh, bishops are chosen out of that pool. As of late, it's been very difficult for uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, to populate its bishopric because uh, they, they are finding that it's, it's increasingly difficult to maintain a pool of celibate men or men who are willing to be celibate. So um, it's, been, it's been difficult for them to populate their bishopric. Uh, the next, and part of that is probably because of the way in which the priesthood is structured, because in Eastern Orthodoxy, priests are able to be married. So if you could, if you wanted to be an Eastern Orthodox ministry, uh, and you're looking at how to get into, into that, your option would either be deacon or priest. If you want to teach, uh, you, you know, you would go for the priesthood and you're able to be married. So why would you do that? Uh, why would, why would you be a bishop? right? Uh, if you couldn't be married, and there's all this complicated administrative uh, stuff that goes along with that, when you could just be a priest, you could be married and have a family and all of that. So that might be a contributing factor to the to the decreasing pool of, of potential bishops. But priests are able to be married. Uh, of course, that's a difference that they have with Roman Catholicism. Deacons are able to be married as well, and, and deacons are tasked with, with regular service. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, this is different today than it has been. Again, this is a change. Um, this is a, a significant change. So there's not been continuity on this point in terms of practice uh, and application of the doctrine and all that. But the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, has, an off has, op has two other offices termed uh, Patriarch as the highest and then Metropolitan. Uh, the patriarchs uh, choose the metro or ordain the metropolitans. Metropolitans rule um, uh, regions, and uh, patriarchs rule uh, what are called. Um, I'll find the I'll find the term for you. Autocephalous churches or autonomous churches. By that they do not mean a local church; they mean a um, uh, a. Uh, and a, a large conglomeration of local churches, more like a presbytery, but beyond and ex and more expansive than a simple region. So, uh, for example, uh, you have the Romanian Orthodox Church, which which would be historically would have fallen under the rule of a patriarch. The patriarch would have ordained metropolitans to rule various districts or providences within that autocephalous church. Um, and so those two offices, however, are not formal anymore. That is to say, they, they, they no longer have any formal authority. Uh, they are purely, um, uh, they are purely, uh, what do you say? Um, I guess you could say a ceremonial uh, or honorary is probably the better term. These are the patriarch uh, and metropolitan or honorary offices. They have no formal authority over the autocephalous churches or uh, or various districts. Um, and so that's uh, the historical application of those two offices no longer stand. Uh, and that's a pretty significant um, that's a pretty significant move. That would be like if Rome tomorrow, somehow decided that the Pope 
was no longer going to have ecclesiastical authority, that his office was just going to be honorary. That would be a massive change for the papacy, and truly, I think they're probably headed in that direction. But, um, so on that, uh, the historically, now, again, this is part of the reason why today metropolitans and patriarchs are honorary, uh, is because that's always been a contested structure within the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, this, particularly in the Cyprian Church, uh, around the fourth century, I believe, they didn't, that church or communion denied the authority of the patriarch altogether. Uh, and then they began ordaining their own bishops without regard or reference to the patriarchy. And then uh, several North African churches rejected the patriarchy at the Council of Hippo Regius in 393 AD. So that went in the fourth century as well. So it, very early on uh, in the fourth century and even before there were rumblings of this, there was massive pushback against the offices of Metropolitan and Patriarch. And now we speed up to today, the 21st century, and those two officers are nothing but honorary offices or titles. Um, so there's there, there has been a substantial change with regard to that. Now, shifting focus to Baptists, how does this differ? <laughs> Massive difference, of course, because, uh, because Baptists differ from Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism in that we as Baptists do not believe the priesthood is ordained for the New Testament church, period. That is to say that there's no instruction under the New Covenant to, uh, to ordain uh, priests. That does not exist. And we would say with the passage of the Old Testament, the passage of the Old Covenant um, being, as, being displaced as it was by uh, the New Covenant, see Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that with the passage of that covenant, there is now a uh, only two offices that are ordained for the New Testament church, which are pastor and deacon or elder and deacon, or you could say bishop or overseer and deacon. Um, those are the only two offices that are formalized by uh, the New Testament uh, data and defined as well as qualified by the New Testament data. So uh, there is no priesthood, we would say, <clears throat> in the New Testament, except for the priesthood of believers, uh, which is very, uh, which is a Baptist distinctive of sorts, though Presbyterians, Lutherans, etc. Would, would, would confess a priesthood of believers. Anglicans may profess a priesthood of believers, but they might be inconsistent in its application, we would say. And so, um, so, like I said, there are only two offices given definition in the New Testament, uh, and that's elders and deacons. Again, elder, the word is interchangeable with bishop or overseer. Uh, and that those offices are formalized and qualified in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Um, the Apostle Peter terms all believers in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He terms all believers a royal priesthood. So he writes, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood or a kingdom priesthood, king priests, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so the idea here is that in Christ, every believer without distinction is a priest. Uh, they're not a priest in the same order as the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament. 
they are priests in that they offer themselves as living sacrifices to the Lord Jesus Christ through a life of thankfulness lived as a result of what Christ has done for us. Um, so uh, just to conclude on that point, uh, the differences uh, between Baptists and, and Eastern Orthodoxy is that Baptists realize that the, all, every believer is a priest. There is no official office distinct office in the New Testament church of a priesthood. Uh, likewise, that would go for a, uh, a, a, a bishopric that is distinct from uh, what goes on in the local church. That is to say, a bishopric that stands over and above several local churches is not an office ordained in the, in the, uh, in the New Testament. We'll see that here in a moment. Um, so given that, number one, the New Testament only defines and qualifies the office of bishop, elder, pastor, or and deacon, there's only two offices, in other words, substantially qualified and defined in the New Testament. And secondly, given that the New Testament uh, tells us that all believers are priests, it stands to reason that a hierarchy, as is conceived in Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, a hierarchy of ecclesiastical positions appears to be ruled out by the New Testament data. We just simply don't have scriptural, special revelatory data that tells us that there should be anything other than pastor and deacon. It's just not there in the New Testament. Uh, of course, there are apostles, um, but reformationally speaking, there's a strong argument, and I think there's an argument historically even preceding the, uh, the time of the Reformation that that office, the office of apostle, has ceased with the death of the apostles in the first century. Um, and uh, that's because the purpose of the apostles was to be a foundation. Now, what is a foundation uh, is not meant to continue going on up with the uh, superstructure, and so uh, that office has ceased uh, by virtue of the language that we have in Scripture um, in places like Ephesians 2.20, where uh, Paul writes, Now therefore, and this is verse 19, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God uh, has been, verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, uh, the foundation of the apostles, if Jesus is a cornerstone, that foundation doesn't change, it doesn't get bigger, expand, anything like that, and the doctrine stays the same, right? So we're we're built on that foundation, the foundation of the apostles, and so there's not a continuing office of, of uh, apostleship. So, uh, Baptists only, Baptists believe in a priesthood of believers. There is no office of priest in the New Testament except that which pertains to every believer, uh, contrary to the Eastern Orthodox, which believe in a distinct office of the priesthood, uh, as well as deacons and bishops. Uh, the sixth and last point that I have here uh, that is uh, of ecclesiological significance as well is that we as Baptists believe in what's called local church autonomy. It flows really from uh, the priesthood of all believers, uh, whereas Eastern Orthodoxy holds to an ecclesiological or an ecclesial hierarchy. So the priesthood of believers consistently, in my estimation, I think in the estimation of most Baptists throughout history, gives way to local church autonomy. So whereas particular Eastern Orthodox congregations, like a parish church in Eastern Orthodoxy, is subject to higher ecclesial authority, um, i.e. bishops, 
uh, and they're subject to uh, a presbytery or uh, a, um, a a a kind of jurisdiction of uh, bishopric rule. Uh, the Baptist sentiment is that each local church has everything within itself necessary to be a church. So in other words, there's no authority, no human or earthly authority outside of the local church that has authority to govern the local church. The only authority that stands outside and over the local church is that of Christ himself ruling and reigning for heaven, from heaven. So Christ is the head of every local church. He rules it through his word. And then there are two offices operating within each and every individual local church for the good and edification of that church. And that is elder and deacon. And the purpose of elders and deacons is to minister the word. Elders minister the word and administer the ordinances. And deacons, of course, support uh, both of those um, both of those angles of pastoral ministry. Um, local church autonomy, of course, does not exclude church fellowship or accountability of churches to uh, doctrinal standards that are. Uh, that are directly derived from Holy Scripture and that which is necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture. So a local church is is not just um, uh, f- free to be a loose cannon, in other words. They are uh, to be in association with other churches, fellowship with other churches, uh, and they are to maintain their doctrine. So uh, while they're not in submission to associations, they're not in submission to... Uh, the churches they're in fellowship with, uh, they are in fellowship with those churches, and they uh, they should they should ha- they should fellowship along the lines of scripture and and truth, and um, and that's a way of churches to edify one another without falling into the mistake of creating a hierarchy which governs local churches. So. Local churches have their government in themselves. They're they're led and directed by Christ, though for their good, they should fellowship and associate with other sound churches. Um, so um, those are pretty much the last two uh, points that I would like to make which distinguish Baptist theology from that of Eastern Orthodoxy. It's a massive chasm, and it's such a massive chasm. There's more, more, much more that could be said, but it's such a massive chasm that you really don't have people asking, what's the difference between Baptist and Eastern Orthodox? Usually you have people asking the question, what's the difference between Protestantism and Eastern Orthodoxy? But I wanted to get more specific to uh, Baptist distinctives and contrast that with some something wildly different, like, like Eastern Orthodoxy. And we'll do the same with uh, Roman Catholicism. Again, the purpose of this is to help equip you. It's not sufficient to that end, perhaps, but it's at least to help equip you to um, to give an answer for why you believe what you believe. Uh, the The history for Baptist theology is there. It's not as skylined or high. It's not as highlighted as history, the history of Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy or uh, or other traditions and. And, and part of that is because there's been a lot of um, uh, history from the Middle Ages is sparse anyway when it comes to uh, when it comes to theological history or historical theology. So, uh, and when I say Middle Ages, I mean everything from the fifth century up until 
the 14th or 15th century uh, is very difficult um, to to nail down specific uh, distinctives that have continuity throughout that whole time. That's hard to do for any tradition. And in fact, there's a lot of murky water, even for Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy. There's a lot of murky water for for uh, Pado baptism, um, which really, I think, began in the third century. Um, and so do not take the claim on its face of any one of these groups that because we're more historical than you, then therefore we're the correct church, or that therefore we are uh, the oldest church. Um, do the research on your own, because nine times out of ten, what you're going to find is that there's a whole lot more disunity than is initially uh, than is initially led on. Uh, there's historical disunity and there's contemporary disunity in these various traditions. And so do the research and 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 find out for yourself. Uh, Baptists really are not uh, the new kids on the block. There's a great deal of continuity that we have with Christians that have, you know, uh, gone before us. Um, but where Baptists as a theological tradition really come into their own in terms of confessional uh, definition would be in the 16th century and 17th century, really the 17th century. Uh, and um, that's not to say that all of the theology that Baptists believe is new to that period. It's not. But in terms of the organization of that theological tradition in a, in a way that had not been set forth before, happens in the 16th, 17th century, I mean, and, um, and following on therefrom. Uh, again, that doesn't mean it's new. It just means that uh, our confessional literature is really developed in that period. Um, and so uh, take that for what you will. Uh, just This is an encouragement just to really um, really explore the history and, and understand, understand that really for all of us, all of us, without qualification, history is very messy. It's much more messy than we like to think it is. And so history can't be the only factor that plays into your decision. can't be the only factor that plays into uh, why you believe this particular teaching over this other particular teaching. So anyway, if this was helpful, please uh, like it, share it. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.